Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about how technology is making us lonely. A new pair of glasses that may be expanding your idea of a computer screen and how hitting the snooze button too many times could ruin your sleep hygiene. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Did you know that even though we might feel more connected to people with social media, we might actually be even more disconnected than ever before? Well, that doesn't sound very good, but it makes sense. I mean, as much as I love seeing what my friends are doing on social media, I'd really rather just see my friends. Yeah, no, I get that. And it's certainly been harder in the last few years with the pandemic. But a lot of research shows that maintaining friendships and making new ones in real life is crucial to protecting our psychological, emotional, and physical health. We have more technology at our disposal, we're busier than ever, and many of us now work from home. But that all means it's more important than ever to get out and interact with others. It is really easy to feel isolated some days. But how does technology make us feel lonelier? Okay, so we'll start with social media. People are more likely to feel insecure when they make comparisons to what they see online, whether it's realistic or not. Plus, when we plan every event with evites and can track our friends' locations, we miss a bit of the spontaneity in life. Rates of loneliness have nearly doubled between 2012 and 2018 alone, and they're now higher than ever. Adolescents actually seem to be feeling it the most. Is the whole problem online then? If I log off, will I feel more connected? You might, but there are other forces at play too. Of course, the pandemic contributed to a growing sense of social isolation, but things as simple as remote work or urban planning also contribute to it. We spend more time at home or in our cars than ever before, and growing suburbs mean we don't just bump into strangers nearly as much as we used to. Connecting with a stranger can be a meaningful human connection, like chatting with someone in line at the coffee shop, for example, and watching somebody drop food off at your door and waiting till they leave to open the door doesn't count. Okay, well, I know you said loneliness is on the rise, but is it something we need to be worried about? I mean, doesn't everyone get lonely sometimes? Oh, sure. I mean, we all have periods where we feel lonely, but it becomes a problem when those periods last longer and longer. If you can't stop fixating on how lonely you feel and have trouble connecting with other people, you might have chronic loneliness. Since the pandemic, more of us probably have the disorder than we realize. And being alone for too long can have some pretty wild effects. Isolation can cause depression, anxiety, and lead to substance abuse. But researchers say it also changes our brain structure and how we think. The older generation can even see an increase in the risk of dementia. And I actually have a pretty crazy statistic to tell you that you might not even believe. Okay, got me curious. Hit me with it. All right, so put simply, chronic isolation is as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. What? That Okay, are you Really? Yeah. That's kind of terrifying. Uh-huh. Okay, how can I be sure I don't accidentally slide into these periods of isolation for too long? Go see your friends. It's important to have more face-to-face conversations, and I don't just mean over Zoom. Get out and meet people in person and work to keep conversations going with your friends, no matter where they are in the world. Opening lines of communication can help you feel and be more connected. And next time you want a burger, go pick it up yourself and make a bad joke to the cashier. <laughs> All right. Well, this makes me extra glad that we've got this podcast to do. Yeah, I feel the same way. They say chatting with colleagues is a great way to fight isolation, and so is doing podcasts with your best friends. Imagine if instead of investing in an extra monitor for your work-from-home office, you could just put on a pair of glasses. Okay, glasses? Do you mean like binoculars that make my tiny tablet screen look bigger, or...? 
No, the Lenovo Glasses T1 are glasses that connect to your phone and have their own small screen. Well, two small screens to be more accurate. They allow you and only you to see images that seem absolutely massive. It's like you're in the image itself. Cool. Okay, so is this like the new era of smart glasses? Technically, they aren't actually smart glasses because they don't have any computing power or do augmented reality. They're just an external screen small enough that it fits on your face with the benefit of built-in hi-fi speakers. Okay, I looked at a picture of them and they definitely seem a little bulky, but not anywhere near the size of a regular TV screen. Each eye has a micro OLED screen with 1920 by 1080 resolution in each eye and a 60 hertz refresh rate, which is pretty common on TVs and laptops. So you have the same amount of pixels and definition as your devices, enough to make things super high def, but obviously much closer to the eye than any current technology we use on a regular basis. It's like being in a movie theater, but you can only look at the screen. I mean, that sounds pretty good, but I'm not sure my parents would like them. I mean, I always used to get warned, don't sit too close to the TV or you'll burn your eyes out. Well, sure, I get that. And I'll definitely be reading some of the first reviews when they hit the market to make sure people aren't getting any eye fatigue or anything. The glasses apparently have low blue light technology to keep blue light out of your eyes. And blue light is one of the things that adds to eye strain and fatigue. We even did a story recently where we talked about the aging effects of too much blue light. They also put in technology to reduce any screen flickering, which should make viewing more comfortable. I mean, I guess that's pretty cool. But then the million-dollar question is, why do we need this? I mean, can't I just watch things on my phone? Yeah, sure, you can. But do you really want to watch Inception or Dunkirk on such a small screen? So much of our entertainment is moving to our phones and tablets, and those little screens aren't always the best for viewing. These glasses are more like you're watching on a movie theater screen, but they still fit in your pocket. They're also great for business people. Imagine you're in an airport or on a train, and you have sensitive documents you really need to look at, but you're worried about people looking over your shoulder. If you put that screen directly on your face, no one else can see what you're looking at. Ooh, okay, that would be cool. I do hate it when people are looking at what I'm doing on my computer, even if it's not important. Um, I'm coming around on the idea of these glasses, but are there any downsides? Well, you'll have to plug them directly into your device with a USB-C cord, and we don't know how much power they'll drain. Plus, you'll need to be seated to use them. It's not like you can look through an episode of House of the Dragon to see what's on the sidewalk in front of you. Ha! Okay, I guess that's true. Okay, are you more of a night owl or a morning person? Uh, I'm going to say it kind of depends on the day, but I wake up pretty well in the morning if I did a good job of going to bed on time <laughs> the night before, which doesn't always happen. But yeah, usually if I got the right amount of sleep, then I can like get up and just start going and working on stuff. Why do you ask? Because I'm a bit of a night owl myself, and I've been having some trouble waking up recently, this is probably due to the fact that I have been just splurging Final Fantasy XIV, <laughs> and I now wake up in the morning, and I am snoozing my alarm over and over. And I feel like this isn't really a great habit. So I wanted to look into the science behind what are called habitual snoozers and what it is that causes the term that I'm going to personally coin myself here, over-snoozification. Over-snoozification. Very nice. You're welcome. So there's seriously a study for this? I, there's a study for everything, and I'm always surprised at least a little bit. What did you learn about these snooze enthusiasts? So did you know that snoozing your alarm over and over makes you a habitual snoozer? I know I just used that term, but that is an actual thing. <laughs> 
Habitual snoozer. Okay. Is it bad to be a habitual snoozer? Well, first I want to explain the difference between what a habitual snoozer is versus a habitual sleeper. So habitual sleeper sounds like more what you are. It's somebody who gets a consistent amount of sleep every night, around six to nine hours, so like a healthy amount. And a habitual snoozer, someone more like me, that can't stop hitting the snooze button. Okay, I feel like I'm probably more of a habitual sleeper because I, I really don't use a snooze button. I, I hate the snooze button because I hate my alarm sound and I don't want to hear it over and over again. Is this common, being a habitual snoozer? It is common to use the snooze button, but it's actually less common than you might think. A recent study found that 57% of participants were habitual snoozers. Um, that is still a majority, but it's not like the vast majority. I would have thought it was somewhere like 70% or something like that. The mm. CDC estimates that one in three Americans don't get enough sleep in general, and that definitely relates to why we see that number of snoozers. 57%. Yeah, that's it's not like everybody. It is most people, but it's kind of barely most people. So exactly. that makes that makes some sense. All right. So is this like a study where scientists were watching to see if people use the snooze button or were they just asking, hey, do you use the snooze button and relying <laughs> on people to self-report? That is a great question. Uh, the answer is actually kind of both. Uh, the study worked with 450 adults with full-time salary employment, and they were surveyed via daily questionnaires. Each participant also had to wear a device that measured their sleep duration and heart rates. For all of them, the monitor noted when a participant actually woke up, and some of the findings weren't that surprising. See, for instance, uh, the people most likely to hit the snooze button were self-declared night owls like me, or as I like to call it in the morning, a permanently exhausted pigeon. Uh, however, <laughs> the data broke down differently when taking gender into account. Women were actually way more likely to hit the snooze button than men by 50%. Oh, okay. So it's most people, but barely, but like a lot more women use the snooze button than men do. Yes, absolutely. So you and me, we are we are <laughs> right in that demographic. We follow this beautifully. Uh, yes. So what does this data mean for everyone? Well, the full-time workers aren't getting enough sleep, obviously, but female full-time workers are pushing it even more than men. So every participant was somebody who's been in the workforce for years. Uh, they had advanced college degrees. They were all over the age of 25. And regardless of gender, this group had bad sleep habits, but the women were more likely to snooze. So one thing to keep in mind there, this only focuses on one part of society. This isn't taking into account uh, low-income households, teenagers, or any other type of population that could be more sleep-deprived, they weren't surveyed. This is a very, very small control group. All right. So the real numbers could be lower, could be higher. You know, maybe teenagers are 90% of them are using the snooze button <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Teenagers are getting kind of responsible these days. Oh, boy. Is that a thing? I got to admit, I don't interact with too many teenagers right I'm, now. I'm just having hope for the future generations. <laughs> All right. Carry on with your hope. <laughs> okay. All of this doesn't really take away from the biggest finding of the study. Every single respondent who woke up without an alarm was shown to sleep longer, consume less caffeine, and have a much better mental health day than anybody relying on their alarm. This shows that when the body is allowed to sleep as long as it wants, it experiences a stress response right before waking that makes an individual feel more alert throughout the day. How does having an alarm or not having an alarm affect this? Like, what about the alarm or, or lack is changing this stress response that makes someone feel more alert. 
It's actually something called sleep inertia, the feeling we get of being tired or groggy after waking up. Turns out that if you disrupt a natural sleep cycle, it bypasses the body's natural stress response and leaves us with this really wonky brain chemistry. So to put it simply, if you don't have that little jolt of alertness, you're not going to be as awake during the day. But I guess it has to be like a natural jolt of alertness, not an alarm-inspired mm-hmm. yes. jolt? Yes. All right. So does this mean that generally alarms are bad? Like we shouldn't use alarms to wake up? We actually don't know that for sure in the long term, especially since many people use their alarms as more of a safety precaution than a hard stop to their sleep. I will admit that sometimes I will just wake up before my alarm, and that tends to be when I feel like I'm the most rested. Uh, We need more research from more walks of life to know for sure. But what we do know is that there are actually a few benefits to snoozing. That extra little bit of sleep might allow your body to gamble on if it wants to give you that alert feeling, and it might reduce dependence on caffeine. Some stress is good for the body, and that's why we have a fight-or-flight response. Therefore, even though waking up on your own is preferable, the snooze button can actually be good for you. Ha! I knew it. (gasps) I just came up with a really good word for the habitual snoozers. And snooziests. Huh? No. Yeah. Snooziests. (laughs) Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. While technology might have you believe that we are more connected than ever, loneliness and isolation are on the rise and can have really harmful health effects. Fight loneliness and protect your health by getting out, seeing your friends, and connecting with others. New computer glasses are changing the way we watch content and use computers in public. By connecting the glasses to your phone, these glasses provide a life-sized screen that is just sitting on the bridge of your nose. Did you hit the snooze button today to get a little extra sleep? Turns out you might have poor sleep hygiene. Nearly 57% of workers were found to have hit the snooze button to get a couple more minutes of sleep and reported being groggier throughout the day. Although it may sound impossible to some of us, getting to bed earlier so we can wake up without an alarm might be the most beneficial way to cut down on that groggy morning we all know and love so much. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get podcasts, and we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery executive producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by us, Callie Gade and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni. Writing is done by Jed Bookout and James Lynch. Our researcher is Julia Schrader. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week.